The secret of brilliant productivity will always be discovering new problems and intuiting new theorems, which open the way to new results and connections. Without the creation of new viewpoints, without positing new aims, mathematics would soon exhaust itself in the rigor of logical proofs and begin to stagnate, as it would run out of content. In a way, mathematics has been best served by those who distinguish themselves more by intuitions than by rigorous proofs. Felix Klein, Lectures on Mathematics in the Nineteenth Century Part 1 sees the first modern economies as lying at the core of the modern societies that arose in the West early in the 19th century. Their unprecedented dynamism was mirrored by dynamism in other realms of society as well. The narrative describes how these economies changed not only living and working standards, but also the very character of life. Dynamism manifests itself in manifold ways. The narrative goes on to examine how and why these history-making economies came about. A modern economy, as that term is used here, means not a present-day economy, but rather an economy with a considerable degree of dynamism, that is, the will and the capacity and aspiration to innovate. One may ask, then, what makes a modern economy modern, just as one may ask what makes modern music modern. If a national economy is a complex of economic institutions and a fabric of economic attitudes and economic culture, what structure of these elements equipped and fueled the modern economies for dynamism? To begin, it is necessary to be clear about the concept of dynamism and its relation to growth, with which it is often confused. An innovation, to repeat, is a new method or new product that becomes a new practice somewhere in the world. This usage is not universal, but is increasingly common. An example is Denning and Dunham, The Innovator's Way, 2010. To economists, ever since Schumpeter's 1912 work, an innovation has meant a new practice, not just a new development. For him, development and adoption went hand in hand, both being a sure thing. Scientists tend to call the invention of a new method or product an innovation, whether or not buyers are found for it. The new practice may arise in just one nation, before it spreads, or in a community that cuts across nations. Any such innovation involves both the origination of the new thing, its conception and its development, and the pioneering adoption. Thus, innovations depend on a system. Innovative people and companies are just the beginning. To have good prospects for innovation, a society requires people with the expertise and experience to judge well whether to attempt development of a new thing, whether a proposed project is worth financing, and whether, when a new product or method is developed, it is worth trying. Until recent decades, the innovation system was supposed to be the national economy. To innovate, a nation had to do its own development, as well as its own adoption. But in a global economy, in which national economies are open to outside developments, the development could take place in one country and the adoption in another. If an innovation, joint or single-handed, is then adopted by another country, that adoption is not regarded as an innovation 
not from a global perspective. Yet selecting foreign products that would have good prospects of acceptance at home might require as much insight as selecting among new conceptions to develop. The distinction between innovation and imitation is basic, but the line between may be fuzzy.